We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Nobody home on the left side of the infield, but Yuan's probably trying to pull it. He takes one hit and throw! Moncada with a game winner! He tied it! He won it! 3-2, your final score! And Bellamy to the left, Thompson to the right. Trubisky rolls and throws, touchdown! Victor Cruz! Do that dance! Shotgun Mitch Trubisky looking and throwing deep over the middle complete to Thompson for a first down how about that one the Bears the Bears those highlights courtesy of CSN Chicago and the Chicago Bears Network hello Welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. Alongside Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. We're here to talk Chicago sports. Matt, bear down, baby. I think that that's all I have to say right now. I, I may have come into the season a, a little bit sour on things, didn't really necessarily enjoy the decisions that were made in the offseason, but one Mitchell Trubisky, and yes, I said Mitchell, he's earned those that last syllable, put a smile on my face in the first preseason game. I'm not going to overreact, but I like what I saw, Matt. I think it's safe to say the Bears are now your you should be your Vegas Super Bowl favorites. I I've seen I all I need. I don't to like see. I don't like to waste money like that, but it you was now, an now outstanding that value, now the value pick looks a little better. It's yeah, it's <laughs> it's still uh it's still money gone to the wayside. I, I'm going to have to I, go ahead I, and I'm, say. I I agree. I agree. But nonetheless, you saw everything you wanted to see. Mike Glennon aside, you saw everything you wanted to see in that Bears preseason game. I was also impressed by the way the defense was flying around. Now, I didn't see uh, – I was actually watching another great young number 10 in our city that night, but we'll get a little, uh, yes, a little you bit were later. At, you I were was, at guaranteed rate that I was night, at correct? guaranteed rate field watching another great number 10 have a what, – what seems like might be a, you know, a, 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 a night on the timeline that you look back on and, and remember that one. Uh, in a young career, but I, I did watch a little bit of the highlights, a little bit more offensively, but uh, from what I heard, Leonard Floyd looked fantastic and was flying around the field, and the defense had a, had a pretty good night themselves. They definitely did, and going back to Trubisky here, there's a couple takeaways that I saw that were really encouraging. Matt, I've never seen a Chicago Bears quarterback step to his target the way that Mitch Trubisky did on that night. I, I know you probably saw some highlight reels and some things of that sort, but we're so used to guys falling off, throwing off their back foot, Jay Cutler relying on the strength of his arm. I mean, you go further back. you got to take it a ways back to see a guy who looked as sound when it comes to form. If you're going to break it down on like just quarterback technique, Trubisky looked great. He really did, um, and the, the main thing I think he touched on it there, though, his accuracy all night is, we've, we've talked about this in podcasts before, I think you know all the reports out of camp were, you know, well, he, he's maybe a little bit slow in his development, works on, needs a little bit of work on his footwork, maybe you know under center he wasn't great, but 
his accuracy has been the one thing throughout camp and since he started his time with the Bears that every reporter said, you know, he's been really accurate. Balls have been exactly where they need to be. And we saw that Thursday night. There was a, I forgot, there was one rollout to the right. I forgot who he was throwing it to. But through an absolute strike about 17 yards downfield, it looked like on a deep out and put it right where it needed to be. Split a couple defenders, thrown on the run. Again, it's we can't get ahead of ourselves here. It's, yes. it's still it's the first preseason game, and he was playing against second and third stringers. Granted, he was playing with second and third stringers, but accuracy is something that it doesn't matter who's on the field. If you're putting the ball where it needs to be, you can beat any defense. And he yeah, showed it, that. It, it didn't look like the game was moving too fast for him, which is a good sign, especially for a guy that's only played, what, 13 uh, college football games. So the learning curve is going to be steep for this kid. And if you're sound technique-wise, if you're picking up the offense, if you're making the right throws, those are all good steps in the right direction. i, I got to applaud him. And uh, the question mark is slapped squarely on Dal Loggins' back in my book. I, I don't love the guy, but he put Trubisky in a lot of – beneficial situations he rolled him out a few times cut the field in half he, he got him in in position to make some high percentage throws so I think they they asked the right amount of Mitch Trubisky in that first preseason game I love the fact that they brought him in for the two-minute drill at the end of the half I don't know if that was a plan or just an opportunity that they saw to kind of uh, put the fire to his toes a little bit but I really liked that they put him in the position to succeed while at the same time challenging the kid no, I, I'm actually glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next point. Is I thought you know, this coaching staff, people like to you know make fun of a little bit. People don't seem to like Dow Loggins or think he's the greatest coordinator. People like to say you know Fox is kind of mailing it in, but that was an absolutely that was a great coaching decision to get get him in in a two minute drill on the right side of the, you know on the right side of the fifty, not asking him to go ninety yards or whatever, just giving him you know, a short field to work with. It was a two-minute drill, but he had, you know, a minute 50, I think it was, to go, uh, you know, 48 yards and, and put him in the right decisions, ask him to make not the most difficult throws, just put him in a great position to succeed. And credit to Mitch, oh, Mitchell, sorry. Uh, he, he took, <laughs> well, I, you know, he took we, the torch I think we still stick with Mitch, he, just, I, for, I, I prefer, just for brevity's sake. I'm, I'm going to go with Mitch until corrected otherwise <laughs> okay he, he took the he took the torch he made the throws he needed to and you know i think he went four for four for 24 yards and touchdown on the drive yeah he, he, he looked good uh good to see victor cruz get in the end zone see a little uh little salsa preview i know that's pretty much the easiest route and catch he's probably had that he's made in his career nonetheless good to see him get out there get on the board but i, I really as as enthused as i was by trubisky's performance I want to pump the brakes here, like you said, not get overly excited, and I still want him to sit at least half of the season. I still want him to see the game from the sideline, be able to process ones versus ones on the NFL level, and I don't know if he continues to perform this way in the preseason. I don't know how realistic that is that they are going to sit, because you do get high on him. You do see what his capabilities are, and that just makes you want to see him perform when when the chips are really down. No, I, I agree with you. And I, by no means, unless, you know, something happens injury wise, do I want to see him you know, starting week one. Um, but I'm, I was originally of the camp with you, I think where I said, you know, no earlier than week eight, no earlier than halfway throughout the season, preferably the whole way. And that I'm shouldn't gonna, change. I'm, I'm going to amend that a little bit to don't do it. No, man. no, no. I, I'm not going to say <laughs> I want him to start, but I'm saying if, if he keeps taking these steps, if he, you know, maybe week three and, you know, in the dress rehearsal game, he may plays, you know, second team reps 
maybe the end of a first team rep or whatever, if he keeps taking these you know, these steps forward, and say by week five the Bears are zero and five, and Trubisky is that obviously ready to go, mm-hmm. then I'll say turn him loose. I'm not saying you know by you know I want him starting week one. I think he gives them the best chance to win. Screw development and all that, but. Sometimes in the NFL, plans change, and if he's more ready than we thought he was, because I think he looked more ready in that preseason game, and it was just a preseason game, than any of us expected him to look. And I think maybe they yeah. expected him to look. And Play, I, plans, I don't want plans, – plans in the NFL can change. And I'm not saying, again, throw him into the fire and sink or swim with him right now this year. You have Mike Glennon for a reason. I think they should use him. But if you're 0-5 – and Mike Glennon looks like he did in that first drive of that first preseason game or first two drives, you you, kind of have to go with the kid, I think, if he's ready. But those coaches will know when he's ready. And if he's ready by week five, go with him. But, Matt, plans, like you said, plans can change in the NFL, but history can't. And there are only a few names in history of guys who started as rookies that have had any long-term success. What's behind that? I don't know. But that's just the fact of the matter is that guys are more successful when they have time to process the game from the sideline during the rookie season or in Aaron Rodgers' case for three seasons. So, I agree. But and, in, in fairness, Aaron Rodgers, he was sitting behind Brett Favre. That's, yes, a, that's just a somewhat of a unique He's, he's yeah. not going to be learning behind a Brett Favre, but to be able to process the game and not be thrown into the fire right away. Let's transition a little bit here, Matt. You mentioned his name, and I might make a jar for his name just as much because I think we saw the best of Mike Glennon as well during that preseason game. I think that's what you can expect, and I think that's why Mike Glennon was not on a roster last season. He looks like a proper Bears quarterback, and that's not a good thing. He looks like a guy who can lose some games for us. Yeah, that was bad. And I know this this isn't going to happen, but I want the Bears – to recognize their mistake, cut their losses, and have Mark Sanchez start these first eight football games. I'm not totally against that either, and I'm going to go a little bit of a different route with you because same reason I'm not going to do it with Mitch. I'm not going to quite overreact yet with Mike Glennon. He looked uh, terrible. My, he looked my eyes, Joe my eyes know, know what they saw. I know. Man. He looked god-awful. It was one game. It was a new offensive system, and I'm not trying to justify or say I think he's good. His um, neck is so long. He's going to get hurt. He's like a baby giraffe out there. Well, then it'll take care of itself. For it. <laughs> Stop. That's it terrible. Go. That's what you just said. You just said he's going to no, get hurt. No, but you wished it upon him. I did not wish it upon him. I said it might happen. But no, I was, I, I was going through Twitter again when I was at the White Sox game and, and was scrolling through and saw it was the you know, first throw of his Bears career in the preseason was an interception. And one of the guys I was sitting with was like, well, you know, we didn't see the play because obviously it took a little while for the video to come out and Twitch like, well, you don't know what happens with interceptions. Sometimes it's you know miscommunication. Sometimes it's on the receiver, whatever. Maybe you'll never know. Then I saw the video, and he just tried to hit like a 12-yard deep out in triple coverage that he overthrew by about five yards. He th- yeah, it was a deep out, and he threw it as almost like a seam route just Joe, over I the guy's high school head. Quarterbacks. It- I sophomore high school quarterbacks. I think my sophomore could have made a better throw. I really yeah, did. That, that was while, while, that might, while that might be a tough throw, it was a bad decision and even poor execution. I, I just don't know. I don't know what the front office saw in Mike Glennon that made them believe that he was worth the money that they gave him. That's why I really, not to go back and open up old wounds or harp on points that I've already made, I really don't think there was a plan. I think the plan was to do what I said, tank it, 
pay this guy to lose for two years and then go draft a different quarterback. Then they fell in love with Trubisky. There was a change of plan somewhere in there that they went after Trubisky. Now, to say that that was the wrong decision, we can't make that yet. But signing Mike Lennon, I think you can say, was the wrong decision at this point. I, I, I think it's going to end up being the wrong decision. But again, like with Trubisky, I think it's too early to say whether it is yeah. or not. I, and quite Another, honestly, un- it, it wasn't a good contract, no matter what. But when you're yeah. signing a quarterback in free agency, it doesn't matter what quarterback it is. It's, it's going to be a bad decision unless you're signing an elite quarterback. But those never get to free agency because those quarterbacks demand so much money. And we've talked about it before, and this is what I've used to try and calm you down. But after one year, this, Whiskey? this Glennon con- yes. After one year, this Glennon contract doesn't matter anymore. They're paying the Bears print money, so eighteen million dollars or whatever the hell it is. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but they're they're not in cap. They don't have cap issues this year. They can cut them cap, you know, without any cap penalties at the end of this year, and they're going to do that. So it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But what matters is the discretion of your front office, and this was a this decision lacked discretion. That's that's my only qualms with it. But I just we'll I, see. I think I, I think you're right though. I think they got a quarterback who they thought they can suck with and maybe get a couple more, more early draft picks, but then they fell in love with their quarterback. And sometimes yeah. things change. And sometimes you can't really foresee that. If if you need to go out and get that quarterback, they couldn't come back with Matt Barkley running the show. They couldn't tell this fan base yeah, we're going but, with but, Matt Barkley or Brian Hoyer again. But Matt, in the time between signing Mike Lennon and drafting Mitch Trubisky, Trubisky didn't put anything else on tape. There was nothing else there that could have changed their mind. That was just a lack of foresight or a lack of advanced scouting. One or the other, they're both problems. You see what I'm saying? I, no, I, I can see that. That, that, that. That's fair, and I'll, I'll give you that point. But yeah. uh, just, in the long run, at least, I don't think this one will end up hurting them, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I really hope that that is the fact, and I do, I do tend to agree with you there. Another too early take from the Bears' first preseason game here, I, a guy that I questioned again, Tariq Cohen, I think when put in the right positions, could be dangerous. He's not going to be your 20 carries, uh, put him in the backfield back, uh, where, where we did see him line up a number of times the other night. But he's shifty. He had great burst. And for a guy that small that can get lost behind blockers, he had a little bit of power, too. I don't know how much of him you got to see. But I, I liked the first glimpses of Tariq Cohen. I mean, this is... This offense that they're putting together, you can very much tell that Ryan Pace came from the Saints organization. He's yeah. got he's got his Mark Ingram type running back in Jordan Howard. He's got his Darren Sproles type running back in Tariq Cohen. He's got his big tight end, and he while he doesn't necessarily have a number one receiver, he has three, four, three or four guys that he thinks can be serviceable. You know, twos and threes. That if you have those great running backs, that quarterback and that tight end who develops into a big thing, you don't really need the. Odell Beckham type receiver if you're deep at the receiver position, which I think has been their goal is maybe not get those ones, but to have three or four guys who can be a two or a three in an NFL offense. And I think he's starting to make that mold. And I think Tariq Cohen is looking, again, it's one game, but from what you've seen in that game, from what you heard from camp, he looks like that guy who, when he's put in the right situation, which I think a guy like that will be because that's why you draft a guy like that to mm-hmm. put him into certain situations, he can kind of be that lightning out of the backfield to, the, to Jordan Howard's thunder. Absolutely, and I think that that's going to be exciting. That's going to be one of the storylines that's exciting to watch because while it might not be a running league anymore, if the Bears can't establish a productive run game, it's going to make them a lot more competitive this season because, like you said, they don't have the Odell Beckhams. They don't have that big play threat per se right now. 
No, and I think Cohen's there, again, their change of pace back, but also let, let's get him out in space and see what he can do. Yeah. Some other Bears news that, that was made uh, later on in the week. Uh, Roberto Aguayo, now a Chicago Bear after being cut from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Never good to be cut as a kicker, but in, in that line of work, that type of thing does happen. Um, looked like an absolute world beater, automatic Almost yeah, machine he in miss, college at Florida He never missed State. anything at Florida State. And then I think he only made like 70-something percent of his kicks in his rookie season. He was like 22 of 31, I believe, were the numbers. Um, not a good rookie campaign, but a guy that I guess has a high kicking ceiling, if he can yeah, get it figured I mean, out between the ears. I mean, the other guy they have right now, is, it's still Connor Barth, right? That's their, they, they brought yeah, him we back. Have two, we have two Tampa Bay Buccaneers rejects. Hey, you the know, Bucks if, have now... In two years, the Bucks have now cut two kickers, and the Bears have picked up both of them. I mean, at this point, I saw a lot of people making fun of the move yesterday. And you know, say, or, mm-hmm. oh, why are we picking him up? What's wrong? Why, why not bring in another kicker? Why not bring in, like you said, it's, it's funny to say a high-ceiling kicker. Yeah. But why not bring in another high-ceiling kicker? Create this kid competition let, yeah, and this cut kid, one of them. This kid was a absolute stud at Florida State who didn't miss anything. And I think they... I, the Bucks GM, I forget his name, but he, he they, I saw a quote from him on Twitter basically saying, like, you know, we love this kid coming out of college. Obviously, you know, took him in the second round, but I think what happened was we kind of came in here. He came in a second-round pick. We didn't have any competition for him in camp, and we just kind of anointed him the kicker and, you know, the next great kicker in the NFL, whatever. And I think that messed with him a little bit, whether it was confidence, whether it was maybe got a little bit too cocky, maybe mm-hmm. couldn't handle the pressure, whatever. But now you're bringing him into a situation where, sure, if it, if it doesn't work out, who cares? Yeah. And if it does, you look like a genius. You brought in a a very talented kicker, but it's it's also it's going to breed competition between him and Connor Barth, and that that's good in camp. It's week two of the preseason. You want as much competition as you can get. Yeah, I'm with you there. And my favorite part of this whole thing is that I don't know if you watched week one of Hard Knocks last Tuesday. I have not te- yet. They teased so after the episode in kind of their next time on Hard Knocks, they yeah. teased. Uh, the, the kicker controversy between um, between Aguayo and Aguayo and um, I'm blanking on who their current kicker is, but they teased it and they're like saying one of these guys is going to get cut. They should have found a way to cut him, make him sign a non disclosure so no one can find out about it, and then cut him li- almost live, live on, on television. That would have been a hard knocks first, and I think that would have been something. We probably are still going to see this guy get called in and get cut. Um, it's going to be a little bit different because he was a second round draft pick because mm-hmm. we're usually seeing these rookies get cut. So that should be an in- interesting scene there. But uh, Roberto Aguayo going to be wearing uh, the Navy and Navy and orange this now, season. You brought up hard knocks. I don't want to deviate mm-hmm. too much, but uh, mm-hmm. on Amazon, they, you know, last year they did hard knocks with the Rams. Mm-hmm. Well, a- Amazon did a series with the Rams where they followed them all season. And it was essentially a, a this wasn't very advertised. I kind of just found it scrolling through Amazon. This is where you, they I actually showed... saw a YouTube ad with it at one point. Yeah, and they, they, there was a clip that went viral a couple weeks ago of Fisher, Jeff Fisher, Fisher getting the news fired, or Fisher telling his guys fired. that he got fired. Yeah. So, th- so that's how I found out about it. I found it on Amazon. I, I just got through watching. It's eight episodes long. If you mm-hmm. love Hard Knocks, this is the same exact thing, except just follows the Rams through the regular season. Now, this is a complete deal breaker. Is Lee Shriver going to voice it? It's John Hamm. Oh, that works. John, John Hamm does a good that job. That totally he, works he, for he me. Sound, he sounds very similar to Lee Schreiber. He does a good job with it. It's a good voiceover. You don't really notice the difference. Yeah. But to if get you're back, into that, I would absolutely take a look at it. I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. Sorry but, to uh, deviate to TV. No, you know, no, no, no. You're good. But, 
to, to get back to kind of the kicker controversy or the kicker controversy that might be whatever you want to call it. Um, you take for granted a kicker. It, it was for so long. How many years there was it? Nine. How long was, was Robbie with? Oh, with I the can't Bears? even remember off the top of my, he got here 11 seasons. I mean, he was like there that. in the Super Bowl, right? And he was, at, so he was there a couple years even before that. So yeah, probably no points. Yeah. At no points did we have to question who our kicker was until like the last season of Robbie's career. And you take that for granted, just not having to worry about a player that accounts for so many points per season. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it was weird watching last year, seeing Connor Barth trot out there and even extra points. You were kind of like, well, is, yeah. is he going to, is he going to knock this one through now? What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, well, Matt, it was, it was a, a big weekend or a big week for, uh, for number tens across town. And, uh, you made note of it, uh, earlier on, but, uh, you were in the stands for what what fans are calling the Johan Mancata game, and uh, tell me tell me what you saw from from your first person vantage point there. It was just it was pure electricity, Joe. Guy, the, the kid's just electric. It, uh, that's it, it. was it, it was unbelievable. It, it was it was as loud and as alive as I've seen. And I, I tweeted something about this the other night, but it's as loud as and alive as I've seen that park in a long time. Yeah, because and, in, attendance is actually starting to show it too. Like mm-hmm. the, attendance, it's it's never going to be people great at the sell until kid. you get contenders. But people are coming to the park because we finally see you know there is a plan in place, and yeah. people are coming to support that. They're coming to see Mancata play. They're coming to see Friday night Ronaldo Lopez pitch, who we can touch on in a little bit. Uh, they, they're coming to see all these new kids, and they're supporting the fact that their team is actually being upfront and transparent with them and saying this is our plan. And he, these guys who are on the roster now, who are filling out that lineup, and I think it's, I think they have like five or six different starters in their starting lineup from opening day mm-hmm. after all these trades. But these guys are buying into it too, because while they might not be competing for you know being in the starting lineup in four or five years, these guys are. Some of these guys could end up being pieces coming off the bench in a couple of years. I think this is something like a Leori Garcia or an Adam Engler or Carlos Sanchez sees sees the writing on the walls and realizes, hey, I can be part of something special in a couple of years, and I can compete for maybe a starting job, maybe a fourth outfielder job, maybe a utility infielder job, and I think they're buying into it and having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. I guess I never thought of it in terms of the guys that might not be here because if you realize that you're, you're not a part of the core that they're building right now and you still want to be here because you see something happening, that's just going to make these guys play that much harder right now, and that's exciting because – you know, they just came off, uh, they've lost two straight now, but coming off a four-game win streak, you're seeing glimpses of what the future can look like, especially uh, these moments like Mankata created the other night with the home run in the ninth and then the game winner in the 11th. It's it's just like how it was on the north side five years ago where you were starting to see the seeds sprout a little bit, and it's exciting. It really is, and we're, we're starting to see it, I think, a little bit sooner than they even did over there with Moncada coming up this year. The year mm-hmm. they started the rebuild, you know, we've already got two pieces up. I'd imagine, you know, one or two more might trickle up here in September when they have the, the roster expansion to 40. But uh, yeah. we, we got those two up there now. Reynaldo Lopez, I'm, I'm sure you didn't see much of the start since you're out in Lincoln, but man, Friday night, he went, uh, I think it was six innings, uh, two earned runs, struck out six or seven. He's got some. He's got some nasty stuff, man. He's got a 97 mile an hour fastball. Sometimes touching 98 with a little bit of yeah. tail on it. He had some good stuff against the Royals. Yeah, if he can get that movement going too, then that, that's going to be dangerous. But to to double back to Mankata here a little bit, he's really showing that he can 
do everything you need a middle infielder to do. Uh, obviously, the average not there yet, still getting used to pitching, but being able to show up in the moment, he's already turning up on web gems and top 10 plays. He's, he's, he really looks like a guy who's going to be, and now, again, let's, let's temper expectation here, but when you see it, you see it. He looks like a guy who could be the face of the White Sox and one of the league's premier players. I'll say it. It's yeah, out there. And, and like we've said with him before, is, is the, the difference between him coming up with a lot of, with so many you know, big time hitting prospects in the past is, yeah, he's struggling average wise to start, but he's struggling because he's being too passive. He's being too selective on his pitches and almost has too good of an eye. And usually, like when a like, guy like Tim Anderson comes up or, or, or younger rookies who have a lot of expectations, they're swinging at everything, trying to put everything in the gap, take everything out of the ballpark, whereas Moncada's not changing his approach. He has the same approach here as he did in triple and double A. He's waiting for his pitch, and while he's being a little bit too passive at times, it's good to see. I'd rather see that than somebody like, I say it again, Tim Anderson, who mm-hmm. is too over-aggressive and can't take pitches. Yeah. Well, uh, none, nonetheless, it, it's an exciting time to, to see the wheels moving and forward rather than reverse have how we have in the last few seasons. And what's interesting about this is that the teardown and the buildup seem to be happening, happening simultaneously. Yeah, and I mean, Han is literally selling just about every piece. Tyler Clipper was here for, what, 12 games and he's already traded? But yeah. uh, it, it, it's nice to see that they're really being aggressive with it, but they're also not... They want to let all these guys develop, but like with, with Moncada, like with Lopez, if they're ready now, bring them up now. Like they're not going to over-marinate them, leave them too, down, too long down low, and maybe let them get a little bit bored. If they're ready to go, let's get them developing up here as soon as they can. Yeah, and that, that development process will take time, but trial by fire, I think to take it back to Trubisky as well, trial by fire in the major leagues is much more applicable than in the exactly. NFL. Exactly, yeah, because yeah. in, in the major leagues, you're not, if you're trial by fire at quarterback you're not getting leveled by 270 pound defensive yeah, there's ends. not a chance that you break your neck exactly <laughs> well matt uh a team another team that uh looks to be breaking their necks to get into the playoffs here the cubs kind of jostling between that one and two position in the nl central the cardinals look to be surging right now at the right time which is not good news for the boys in blue but uh, what what was your what was your impression of the Cubs in the last week? There's been some ups and there's definitely been some downs as well. They just make no sense to me. Yeah, I just I don't get them. I, I've been trying to figure them out all year. They just when you think they're you know starting to slide, they go take two out of three from Arizona. When you think they're finally finding their stride, they go lose two out of three in San Francisco. I just I, I, I really can't get a grasp on what this team is. I think they're the best team in that division. Talent-wise, they're the most talented team in that division. I mean, they went out and took two out of three after losing Wilson Contreras. I don't know if they're using that as like a little bit of a motivator mm-hmm. to get everybody going, but I, I can't figure them out. I just it, it, it's it's frustrating. I want to know who they are, and I'm not sure we're going to know who they are till October rolls around. Yeah, and and usually when you're trying to figure out who teams are in October, that's not the team that ends up on the mountaintop. And we talked a little bit before the podcast. They're a great team on paper and on the field a lot of times, but they don't have – doesn't seem like they have the it factor this year. They don't have the ism. They don't have the duende. There's not an air about them. And I know that air was created by a hundred and some years of futility prior to this, but now you have to find that it. What is your reason other than winning the World Series? A team always needs something, whether it be the storyline or 
or a new player? Like, what is your it factor? And the Cubs just don't seem to have that it factor this season. No, and I think, well, like I was saying, maybe early on in the Wilson Contreras, you know, going down, maybe they use that as a little bit of a motivator out in Arizona. But I, I think they're going to struggle because of that. And granted, their their schedule coming up isn't exactly that difficult. I think they got Cincinnati for three now, but I believe they, 24, 24 straight games of teams under five hundred. I saw a statistic, but they haven't been that good against teams under five hundred this year. They've kind of yeah. showed up against the good teams. It's the bad teams that they kind of had trouble with sometimes. Yeah, um, we'll we'll see what happens there, but. Losing that bat out of the lineup, I mean, I know Alex Avila is a, you know, I know when he got traded here, he's all of a sudden, you know, a top five catcher in baseball, and you know what a great move by the Cubs to go get a veteran. Well, it does look like a great move now that Contreras is out. Alex Avila is what he is. He's not, he's not a great starting catcher in this league. We saw it a little bit on the south side, and on the south side, we've seen him a bunch with the Tigers. I mean, he's a guy, he's a platoon catcher. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see what happens there with, with with him in the lineup for you know possibly the hottest bat in baseball since the All Star break. You you still think this is the Cubs division though, correct? You said I, I I'm not going to pick against them. I I still think they're the best team. I I think in the end talent wins out. But like I told you after the All Star break, watch out for those St. Louis Cardinals. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's going to be an exciting couple of months down the stretch here, Matt. You uh you played some some major caliber golf. This well, I played weekend. on a major we, caliber course. I wouldn't say we I will. Yeah, that's that's golf. an important uh, qualifier there. We will get to that. But uh, right now we're going to talk a little PGA Championship. Justin Thomas walks away as the champion of the final major of the year, the 99th playing of the PGA Championship. It was an exciting tournament down the stretch, especially on Sunday. At one point, there were six guys tied atop the leaderboard at seven under. Uh, Justin Thomas squeaks it out. Another youngster. Who gets it done? Uh, what did you see that you liked this weekend, Matt? Well, again, Sunday, like you mentioned, I didn't actually get to see it because I was out playing uh, championship golf of my own. Um, but it's it's another first-time major winner, you know, rising up and grabbing his first major. I think it's good for the game when you have all these young stars. And while Spieth maybe didn't go ahead and grab that second consecutive major like we might have been hoping, um, it, it, it's another guy with star potential out there. And I, I think. While it's, we've said it's different from the Tiger days because there's no this guy against the field, I think we have a lot more superstar ta- caliber type golfers now than we have in a very long time. And it does make it's, – it's a different watching experience, viewing experience than it was in Tiger's days, but it's still, mm-hmm. still pretty fun. Yeah, it, it's a blast. It got me thinking, though, because if you look at this year's major winners, you got obviously Sergio's 37. He's the exception to the rule. But then you go Brooks Kepka at 27, Spieth at 24, JT at 24. So this is really a young man's game now. And I, I tweeted it out after, um, after the fact. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JoeMuso1011. There's a little plug there. Um, and uh, it, it, it has really become a young man's game. What I'm very interested to see, and time will only tell this, you can't really, you can't really forecast longevity, but... What is the longevity of these players? Because I already feel like we're seeing the, the wear down and the breakdown of Rory McIlroy, who was supposed to be this next young gun or tabbed as such about five years ago. The way this game is played in such a physical nature, it, it doesn't breed longevity. We saw Tiger break down with his back and with his knee and with his ankles. There's always going to be issues when the game is being played that physical. Now, Justin Thomas has a pretty sweet swing. Uh, Ricky Fowler's pretty aggressive with it. Jordan Spieth is pretty aggressive with the way he goes at the ball. So I'm very interested to see the longevity that this new era of superstars has in the game of golf. You, you mentioned Ricky Fowler, and while while Fowler is having 
he's quietly having a pretty good year. Uh, he's pretty much seems like finishing in every top 10. The majors, he's put up pretty good performances too. But this this is another one of his guys, one of his buddies, you know, part of that crew or whatever, going out and getting a major before him. Yeah, it's, When it's, is this going to happen? For, I mean, he's still really young, so I'm not worried about if it's ever going to happen because he's yeah, but too Matt, good for it not to. But when, when is this going to happen? The conversation was had for 10 years, 15 years with Sergio Garcia. It could very much be that. It, it could it could be a forever thing where I don't think it will be and I don't hope it will be because I root for Ricky. But to kind of go full spin zone here, this gives you another glimpse into who Ricky Fowler is. He's there supporting his guys. He was there supporting Spieth when he won. He was there supporting JT when he got it done before Ricky got it done. And that wasn't something that anyone in the golf world expected. But just seems like a class act. He, he seems genuinely happy for his friends. And I know there's got to be a little hurt in there, down in there somewhere, in the competitor that is Ricky Fowler, but just a genuine guy. No, and I love I do love seeing that, but part of me is like you said, like if I were him and I were in a position to go ahead and win on Sunday and then, you know, another one of my buddies went out and got it, I, I'd be happy for him, but I'd be a little bit ticked off myself too. Like I, I – yeah. It doesn't seem like, and maybe he's just great at hiding that, not showing it, which is very possible, but it, it seems like he doesn't have that. Yeah, golf's an interesting game too, Matt. You know this because you can pick your competitor. If you want to compete against guys, I know there's a lot of guys on tour who who find who look at those leaderboards and find who their competitors are, and then there's some guys who just compete against themselves. Ricky might be a guy who's just competing against himself and uh, finds a way to compartmentalize it in, in that nature. Hey, might be right. That yeah, might be right. Um, I, I, we got to bring this up, Matt. I don't know if you saw it. An English better narrowly missed a $2.5 million payoff on a $2.60 bet. It was a two-pound bet. There's your exchange rate. But he picked all of the major winners correct except the British. He chose Fowler to win, and Spieth won. It would have been a $2.5 million parlay, having picked all of the major winners correctly. How about that? Well, you – what? You keep telling me I shouldn't make stupid bets or whatever, but he almost hit it. So why shouldn't well, yeah, I try that, stuff like that? That's because that's just a stomach ache for that poor kid watching watching him just come up short. And now yeah, I know that's got to be. He awful. lost it a couple months ago, but then to see the rest of his bets come to fruition had to have been tough. That's got to suck. <laughs> oh, speaking of bets, Matt, uh, let's take a look at our final major championship leaderboard here. Uh, coming in in second place is Matt Rooney with a total earnings of. Six hundred ninety thousand and nine dollars silver coming medal in, coming in in first place with the gold medal. Winner of the first annual major championship pick your pony award. One million seventy one thousand one hundred forty nine dollars. Joe Musso wins the bet. Uh, if you want to take out Tommy Fleetwood as well, I did the math without Tommy because <laughs> you came at me. I still beat you by a good three hundred thousand dollars with one million six six thousand and six hundred and forty nine dollars. Hey, you know, so, I'll take Matt, a silver medal. It looks like uh, it looks like we're going to be playing golf here in the near future on your dime, my friend. Hey, you know what? I, I will happily buy you a round of golf, Joe. We we made a bet. I didn't win it. One for not the first time I lost a bet. Certainly won't be the last. Um, you you were the better man this year. You you made, you made the better picks. Well, it's it's a it's music to my ears to hear you say that, Matt. I know it's this great league... conversation when I agree with you and don't start an argument. But I got I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> you got you nothing beat? here. It, it's it's strictly a numbers game in this one. Yeah. But uh, uh, Matt, Matt, this brings me perfectly into my grievance. So if you want to hit the music, all right, I'll hit it. 
The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're gonna hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, cause I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt, my grievance this week, it's not with the media, it's not with LeVar Ball, it's not with the Bears jar. front office. He said oh, I did say yep. LeVar Ball. That's Put it in the jar. Right. Well, it's not with him, it's with you. Oh, my nice. grievance My grievance is with one Matt Rooney. Now, you got out there on a major championship course. and A major was played on the course, what, six weeks ago? And you're out there playing golf with the cousins. I have no problem with that. Oh yeah, it's great time. Be- beautiful pictures of uh, of Aaron Hills. Oh yeah, you guys out there swinging it. My problem was you played in a threesome, Matt. You played in a threesome. Should I have called you? Needed, you? You needed one more player, Matt, for Aaron Hills and for the Rooney family. I would drive the eight and a half hours to the course. And yes, I did look at it on Google Maps. <laughs> that is a doable drive. I would have done it. I'm asking for a little bit of consideration the next time the Roonies need a fourth. Okay. And I'm also mad. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at Brian and I'm mad at your brother. I'm mad at everyone involved here because I could have been the fourth. That's That's my, that's my grievance this week. So you know what now, Matt, the next time the Roonies need a fourth, I'm cashing in on my bet. Oh, you're paying for two. <laughs> you think I'm dropping Aaron Hill's money on you, buddy? I was thinking you guys come out west here. I meet you out at Torrey Pines. So the next time you guys get out at Torrey. Well, maybe we'll do that, huh? <laughs> but well, uh, that, that is all in jest, but nonetheless, my grievance of the week. Hey, spe- speaking of the Rooney brother, he, uh, he, he made me, begged me to mention this, but he, he wanted it to be known that he shot 77 from 7,600 yards. That's, uh, so, that's, that's impressive, and that is um, – I hate that two, guy. Tour quality golf there. And, yeah, for um, two days you would have been cut. What's uh, yeah? But, <laughs> I was going to ask. What's the next? Uh, what's the next competitive uh, opportunity there? You know, I, I, I'm not really sure off the top of my head. I think the the thing with him is always these these open qualifiers that he looks at. I think it's the most kind of doable. There's the most options there, but that's just kind of something he always keeps his eye out and kind of lets me know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I will say a little bit thankful. Uh, he, he did not qualify for the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills this year because I'm not you sure had, I would have lasted you would have had two to days carrying a bag. We got to the end of 18 yesterday, and all three of us were – yes. <laughs> you're, you're feeling it in the knees. You're feeling it in the hips a little bit. and it's, I think we walked – Brian did some very good math on his, uh, his step counter there, but close to nine miles I think it was yesterday. Nice. Um, so, you, so you got your work in for the week. Exactly. Hats off to the caddies who were, you know, there are three of us, so they were switching off double bagging, you know, throughout you know, the 18 uh-huh. holes. But, my God, up and down those hills with those bags, they, they must have been absolutely exhausted. That's too, just got to be a caddy shack filled with calves. Just yeah, exactly. big, big calves. So, but, so let's, let's break it down here, though, Matt. So we got Mike coming in at 76. What did the rest of the card look, look uh, like? I, I threw out up a 92. Um, okay, I know you I, said 90 was the goal. I, I was not happy. With, I, left, I left a good amount of shots out there. I, I, mm-hmm. I was a little bit disappointed with myself in 92. I think 
couple couple bad club selections from the caddy. No, no, I'm, I'm going to own Got to put a couple I'm, strokes on I'm going to own this. We Our, our caddies are actually <laughs> both exceptional. We actually talked That's about a good time. We both want to go back, I think, there. All three of us would like to go back to that course one day because all well, three it's expensive. Of you? All, maybe, all three of you? Well, we the three of us would like to go back because we've actually with, been there before. With maybe someone? with a fourth. We'll see. Okay. Who knows? Okay. Um, <laughs> But we we actually both liked all three of us liked our caddies a lot. I think it was you get out on a course like that, and you know, off the first tee, no matter where, no matter who you are, you're going to be gripping the club a little bit tight. You're going to have a little oh, yeah. bit of jitters. And you're talking with our caddy. I, I I don't think me or Brian hit very good drives on number one. Mike obviously striped his in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I was walking with the caddy up to my ball. I was like, yeah, you know, just so you know, like obviously we've caddied, caddied for quite a few bad golfers here, like. These first four holes, like it, they don't do any favors to the nervous golfer. Just like survive. a lot of these first four, like <laughs> a lot of these first, you, you go at any course. Like sometimes the lazy Indian, like I played at Keough Island a couple summers ago. The first couple there aren't too bad. They're, they're difficult mm-hmm. holes, but they're, they're they ease you into it a little bit. The first four at, at Aaron Hills do not ease you into anything. You, yeah, you got to be on right your case, or else you're, you're in a little right bit of trouble. Mix. Now, even with my errant drive on number one, still scrambled for a nice par. Made it made a real nice, you know. Beautiful. 17 footer for par. So I'm beautiful. I'm and it, anytime you can play golf where the spike marks are still fresh from a major championship, exactly. that's, gotta be a, that's gotta be a thrill. So exactly. Um, glad you guys had a blast. Let's keep this thing rolling, Matt. You want to jump in a little buy or sell? Let's do it. Why don't you start us off? All right. Obviously we've all seen the news this week. Zeke Elliott handed down a six game suspension by the NFL for his recent transgressions. Uh, all signs point to the fact that he is going to appeal this, might be out there week one, might not be. We don't know just yet. All things considered, buy or sell, Ezekiel Elliott breaks the 1,000-yard rushing mark this season. Now, I'm going to go ahead and assume that whether it's you know starting week one or not, I, I think he's going to miss six games at some point throughout the yes. year. Um, I don't want to speculate as to what happened or whether he deserves six games or not. I off the top of my head, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're seems, spinning it football here, man. Yeah. Six games is, is what it is. I think he will get to a thousand. Um, I think that offensive line is so good, and while maybe teams might be keying in on, on him a little bit more now, I, I think by the end of the year, last year, anyways, that was already the issue. Mm-hmm. I, I think he does get to a thousand. I think it's close, but I think that line is so good. He's such a focal point in that offense, and I think he might actually be a little bit energized run with a little bit more of a purpose, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after missing six. I think he gets there. So you're buying. I'm going to buy. All righty. I'm going to sell on it just because last year he averaged, I believe, it was just over 100 yards per game. He had like 1,600 and some Mm -hmm. yards um, in in 15 games. So to keep that pace in a sophomore season is somewhat unheard of. But as you said, the best offensive line in the league, if they can stay healthy, you could – throw you behind them and you might be able to break the 600 yard mark. So um, I, I, I'm going to lean to sell just for the sake of argument when we get to the end of the season. You taking shots at my running ability? I think I was, that was a sideways, uh, that was a, a compliment there for you, Matt, that you could, that you could rack <laughs> up six, 600 yards in an NFL season. Fair enough. Good answer. <laughs> good response. Good save. All right. Um, all right mine, I'm going to stick with the football theme here. Uh, Pernell McPhee had that scope before camp. Since then, I haven't heard a word about him. Um, injuries in both knees now. I- I'm going to ask you, buy or sell, Pernell McPhee has played his last game in a Bears uniform. I'm going to sell it just because I think we see him in the latter half of this season to what extent and to what uh, production, I don't know. 
but um, this seems like it was such a big investment and it was, there was such expectation laid in front of this guy when he was brought to the bears that I think that we do at least see him play again as a Chicago bear this season. But um, like I said, I'm not expecting anything from Pernell McPhee. You got to kind of envision this defense without him this season. That's how I'm positioning and positioning in my own head. Now, if he does come out here, rack up a few sacks, contribute a little bit it'll i'll be pleasantly surprised but i am buying i'm gonna agree with you. I, i'm selling i'm selling he is going to play with the Bears. i got you I, I'm, I'm gonna sell that too um it, it it's close and i kind of went back and forth with it on myself myself but i do think at some point he gets on the field this year and gets another chance whether he can stay on the field for more than mm-hmm. two or three games uh, I, i'm not totally sure and it's really too bad that his his health just kind of went away when he signed here but Man, he looked so good for those first couple games when he first got here, and it looked like the Bears really had a legitimate superstar potential threat on that outside. Maybe they have that now in, in Leonard Floyd, but it's it's really going to be a huge what-if with him, and he really had a chance to be a, a star, next great defensive player in Chicago, just couldn't stay on the field and for that. It looks like that signing's going to end up being a bust. Yeah. Um we can only we can only hope for the best there. When a guy gets his knees scoped again two minutes before camp starts, yeah. there, there's there's other issues. The other knee too. Yeah. So we shall see. Matt, buy or sell. Giancarlo Stanton hits sixty plus home runs this season. He is on pace to hit fifty nine point six home runs. If you extrapolate the numbers there, I did a lot of math before this podcast. Full disclosure. So Good. you're the you're the math it, it guy was, in the podcast. It was a, no, I'm not. It was a tough morning for me. So uh, <laughs> the numbers were checked and double checked. Uh, John Carlos Stanton. He's been just seeing seeing the ball like a beach ball the last few weeks. Uh, he, I believe he's he's got he's hit home runs in seven of his last eight contests. Uh, something like 21 of his last 30. He, he's on. Yeah, he's on, on a ridiculous. So he was on a Wilson Contreras type streak here. Yeah, off the break. Yeah. So buy or sell, Giancarlo Stanton. He's currently at 42. Hits 60 plus home runs this season. Man, you know, my head says to sell, but I, I think I'm going to buy it. I mean, he is. Mm-hmm. He's on pace for 59, but that includes the first half pace where he only hit what was like 23 or something like that. He did I mean, come out slow. So he came is, out a little bit slow. If he he's going to slow down, I would think a little bit, but. If someone's got the chance to do it, it's him. I, I know he doesn't play in the most hitter-friendly part, but like you said, he could, he's seeing the ball like a freaking beach ball, and it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, he could be playing in the polo in. grounds yeah. right now. It doesn't now, matter what park matter. he's seeing. It can be four hundred all around. He's still going to hit a bunch of home runs. Uh, I, I I think I'm going to buy. He doesn't really have much pressure on him throughout the rest of the year. The Marlins aren't really in a playoff race. He's just kind of out there swinging. Uh, he seems like the guy who's going to benefit from that too, where he just kind of has to worry about hitting home runs. Sure, I, I say he gets it. I, I tend to agree with you. It'll be exciting to see a guy race against a number again. It's not going to yeah. be a race against anyone else, but to see a guy chase 60, get to 60, and I, I'm rooting for him again because this is when baseball's exciting. You can you can say the balls are wound too tight. You can say that – you can put whatever slant on it you want. 60 times hitting a ball out of – Hitting a ball over the fence is impressive to me. I, I, I don't care. I don't care you what's in your. I don't care what's in your system. Uh, obviously, you want to keep the game clean, but to to have that ability to hit home runs and be entertaining on a daily basis, uh, knowing that a guy can come to the plate and and bring value to that hundred dollar ticket you bought to get out there to to see a guy hit a ball that far 
to hear the ball come off at a bat like that. That's exciting stuff, and the game needs that. I'm, I'm rooting for Giancarlo here. I think he finishes the season with 62. Okay, 62. 62 it is. All right. Um, um, you got one last one for me? I do. It's, I'm going to stick with baseball here as well. Uh, last night, Sunday night baseball, uh, Red Sox-Yankees, another, another thrilling game between those two. They had a real nice weekend series. That rivalry took a little bit of a, a little bit of a break the last few years. The Yankees were down. The Red Sox weren't quite the Red Sox anymore. Buy or sell, that rivalry's back now. I'm buying it. Both teams are trending upward. And talk about things that are good for baseball. Red Sox, Yankees, Sunday night baseball. That just that screams that screams baseball. July. That's that screams baseball. You know, that that's that when that dead period of the sporting cycle comes around, you need Red Sox, Yankees. And uh, both teams have some young talent and are moving in the right direction. Obviously, anytime Chris Sales on the bump, my eyes are there. Last night, Chris, uh, a, a tough outing, gave up a couple, but still struck out, um, I don't know how many, but every time he's out there, he's exciting to watch. So there are the individual storylines in that rivalry that there always were. The Alex Rodriguez's, the big poppies. You need the names to build the the storylines and when you have your Aaron judges and the likes, it's going to be interesting. Again, I'm saying the rivalry's back. And when those two teams are atop the division, that only builds that excitement. Oh, I, I would agree with you too. Uh, I think it's back a little bit earlier than we thought it might. And you touched uh-huh. on loving to see those two on Sunday night baseball. And I do, but when those teams are good and it felt like the last couple of years while they were down, we're yeah, still kind of force fed that matchup when, you know, a rod was still hitting third for the Yankees at age 39. And yeah, they why am I watching the team? Why I didn't am I watching want to the number that. three and four teams in the AL East Exactly, right now. but when they're yeah. both good, it, there's nothing like it. it. It's there's... the best rivalry in baseball. I don't, I don't think it's very close. And you brought up Chris Sale, and I believe it was twelve strikeouts he had. Last twelve night. last night, yes. Yeah, so, Still and hurts a little bit to see him Monday. doing that, not here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he's he's another guy with, with Judge's slow, you know, slow second half. Uh, this this argument comes up every once in a year. I think the last one was Justin Verlander, but he's a guy who's actually he's going to win the Cy Young. He's yeah. a guy who's going to draw some MVP consideration, too. Without a clear-cut AL MVP like there was, I know Judge was that guy in the first half, but he really hasn't been in the second half. Chris Sale's another guy who's going to at least garner some attention. I don't, I'm not sure he's going to win it, but he's going to be a guy that is at least going to get some votes, some debate in his favor. He should definitely garner some serious attention, too, because that whole, uh, I don't know, the preconceived notion that it's got to be a position player, a guy who hits 40 home runs and steals 30 bags. That's gone now. Clayton Kershaw kind of broke down that barrier. So a, a pitcher, I think we've seen in the last five or so years, pitchers are MVPs. They're yeah. so valuable. Now, yeah, he only plays every fifth day, but his dominance is undeniable. So I, I think he should be smack dab in the middle of that conversation. Good. All right. We're both biased. All right, Matt, we got any mailbag questions today from our loyal listeners here on the Moose and Runes podcast? I do. That my, my brother Tim actually tweeted this one after uh, the infamous August 10th, 2017 night, ah, which, will go down in, which will go down in history in Chicago ten, sports. Ten day. Which number 10 will have the more prolific career in Chicago? Will it be <laughs> Yohan Moncada or will it be Mitch Trubisky? And yes, we're asking this question way too early. Talk about not jumping to any conclusions. I love hey, it. That's, hey, that, that's the business we're in, Joe. And by the business, um, I mean the hobby right now. Yes. But uh, I like the question. It was it was a great night in Chicago sports, even though it was preseason, base, pre-season football and meaningless baseball. It was exciting. I was glued to both. Um, I'm going to go with Moncada here just because, I mean, if you look at – if you just look at the – 
career trajectories of top prospects in baseball and football, those careers just last longer in baseball. So I'm going to say just for that fact, Yohan Moncada, I would love to see both of them succeed. I said, I was talking to my dad the other night, I go, Trubisky Avenue has a great ring to it. He's a good (laughs) Polish kid. You could just smack one of those brown signs right under like Wabash. It'll look beautiful. Moncada Ave, that sounds good too. But uh, I I think Yohan Moncada is the real deal. And and his, uh, I guess, his ceiling or his his potential is much more evident right now than Mitch Trubisky's. That's why I'm going to lean towards Moncada. Now, I, I do like that. I mean, I, I love your, your reasoning for it. And I do think Moncada might be the better player in his sport. I think Moncada has the potential to be the best player in baseball at some point in his career. Um, the thing with that is, though, is Mitch Trubisky doesn't have to be the best quarterback in football in this, in this town that just is by every meaning of the definition of Bears town. Um, if Mitch Trubisky is an above-average quarterback, goes to the playoffs a bunch, beats the Packers a bunch, maybe somehow finds a way to bring a Super Bowl to this town. And I'm, I'm not trying to jump the gun. I'm just saying as a young quarterback, if they get good and he does is able to accomplish that, he'll be the most popular person in this athlete in this city by 20 miles. Maybe Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo can win five World Series with the Cubs, but if Mitch Trubisky manages to win one championship with the Chicago Bear, as it was with the Bears as an average or above average quarterback, it's it's his city for as long as he's playing. So that's why I think he has the potential. I think he has the potential to have the more prolific career, while Moncada may be better in his sport, if that makes sense. I guess to to take it back a little bit, we have we have a little bit of uh, history between us and, that we can dig into this. Who who would you say is the more prolific Chicago star, Jim McMahon or Paul Konerko? Uh, I would say Jim McMahon. Would I you? love Paul Canerco. Paul Canerco is, I think, he's that's my only favorite white sock too, of all like time. You said. That's but only le- less than half of the city. But any you know, uh, I get your point. Any 85 bear that is on the radio or you know talked about in news, they make headlines right away. Yeah. And anything they do in this city still 30-plus years later, they make themselves the top story. And they, they are still kings of this city. It's uh, it's an argument that I hope we can someday have, looking back on when the 10s emerged on the 10s. We will, because the Bears are back. All right, Matt. Well, thank you to the listeners for tuning in to the Moose and Runes podcast. Thank you for always getting at us with your questions. Tweet us those questions at Moose and Runes on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. Throw us a comment. Throw us a like. Uh, let us know what you want to hear. Let us know uh, some new things that you want to see or listen to on the Moose and Runes podcast. We're going to bring you a small new segment here to close things out. Uh, We're calling it our highlight of the week. It doesn't have to be an actual literal highlight, uh, but just our favorite thing that we saw this week, something that caught our eye, a new movie you saw, a game you went to, whatever it may be. Matt, what's your highlight of the week? It was the 18th tee at Aaron Hills. Okay. That's pretty simple for me. That was... Pretty special. Pretty special. Great view. Great hole. And actually seeing, standing on that tee and realizing how Brooks Kepka got there in two without hitting the driver <laughs> was just like, it was it was dumbfounding. Joe, I, I hit my best drive of the day without easily on 18. I, I probably hit it close to 300, if not 300, right down the middle. And I couldn't dream of trying to get there in two. And I was playing from, you know, 6,800. Kepka was playing from 77, 7,800. That, yeah. that, that for me, was that, that was really cool to see. It was a great view. It was a great walk up there. 
And yes, I'm poking the bear a little bit, bragging that I played Aaron Hills to you again. But that, that, that was it. That was it for me. That was that was really cool. Very nice. The best thing I saw all week was an actual highlight coming yesterday in El Clasico. Yes, I'm going soccer, Matt. Uh, I'm sure you saw it on on the social waves. Cristiano Ronaldo's goal uh, to decide El Clasico um, was absolutely dumbfounding. Just for someone who is a casual soccer watcher, I can appreciate that man and what he does on the soccer field or on the pitch. Pardon me. He's 32 years old right now, well beyond your soccer prime. He's been doing it since he was, what, 16, 17? I don't know when he came in. But he appears to be aging like Benjamin Button. He is timeless, and he just made one of the world's best defenders in Gerard Piquet look like a first-year player. It was a beautiful move, a beautiful finish, and a beautiful man. Cristiano Ronaldo was the best thing that I saw this week, man. Now, didn't he also get ejected later in that game, too? He, well, he got a, yes, he did get the red card. He got taken down in like the 81st minute in the box. Uh, looking at the, at the replay, he was just going for the ball. The other guy was going for the ball. It was a no-call, but the, uh, the referee called him for a flop in the box, which can be punishable by red card, gets the red card, comes up behind the ref and gives him the most harmless push in the back. I, I, I did see the push. I did you see can't, that. You, you, you can't do that by rule, punishable by four to 12 games. I believe they gave Cristiano six, six, five, 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 five six, games. Like so uh, I'm sure we'll see plenty of uh, Cristiano on social media because that's usually when he pops up on Instagram and Twitter is when he's either suspended or taking time off. So Now, I, again, uh, I wasn't watching the game like you were, but I'm going to use the use an analogy from, from hockey here, from what you see in playoff hockey and big games mm-hmm. like that. Swallow the whistle. All right. Big games like that, that late I agree. game, swallow the whistle. There's don't nothing, make this about you. There's nothing better than a no call in that situation because it, it wasn't a dive. He, he was extended for the ball, feet came out from under him, and it wasn't a foul on the defender. So uh, that's, that's our soccer analysis of the week. And that was talking soccer. And that was talking soccer and our highlights of the week. There, there you, you go, go Matt. <laughs> All right, Matter. Well, it's been a pleasure, as always, talking with you here on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 16. If you got anything else for the people, say it now or forever hold your peace and then shut us down. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. Well, I'm, I'm going to shut it down. I'm actually going to bring you in on it in a bit because we were talking about you know a couple different topics I can shut it down with and you had a, an interesting suggestion for me. Um, I, I was... I was Troubling, it, troubling to make this not a grievance because I didn't want it to sound like a grievance. I didn't want to repeat the segment. But in Chicago, especially this offseason, this this training camp, this preseason so far, you, you keep hearing how, you know, well, John Fox is in the second to last year of his contract. And, you know, you can't let an NFL head coach go into the last year of his contract without being fired or a new deal. And I, I just, I always wonder why. He signed a five-year contract or four-year contract, whatever the hell it was, why is that last year, why is that lame duck year something you can't let him go into? In, in every sport, I mean, sometimes in football people hold out, but that's because their contracts, are, the players' can't, contracts aren't guaranteed, and they need that guaranteed money. But in baseball, you know, in, in hockey, basketball, whatever, these players go into the last year of their contract and they play. You hear it sometimes in baseball, too. You know, you can't let the manager go into the last year's contract. Why? Why? I signed you to this deal. Coach out your deal, and then I'll make my decision. If you haven't been definitive enough throughout three years, why should I make my decision on you before your fourth when I sign you to a four-year deal? And that just that, that that's for something for me that I don't really understand why there's been this precedent set that you can't 
let this guy be hung out to dry in one year. It's it's an organization, it's a business, and if I don't have enough information in front of me to make my decision on you in, in the limited time, I'm, I should be allowed to take all my time. Matt, I have your solution, as you said. Uh, it, it's a little bit cavalier, but each team, you get your franchise tag. You can use it on a player. You should be able to use it on your coach as well. Then the guy doesn't feel like he's being held out to dry. You average up all the coach salaries in the league. You add an extra 10, 15% onto it to incentivize that year. And you make him coach for his job. Just like a quarterback's got to play for his job or a wide receiver's got to score 10 touchdowns for his job. A coach has got to win games for his job. So let's not coddle these guys. Let's not make them feel safe, but let's incentivize their coaching skill. Let's make them coach to the best of their abilities, just like these players who are franchise tag have to play to the best of their abilities. That's just my take. I, I'm, I'm with you. I love that idea, and I'm not sure. I don't know how realistic it is with the collective bargaining and the Players Association and all that Get stuff. Get me in a room with Goodell. Give me 20 minutes with Goodell. I, I'm sure I can make that happen for you. <laughs> Man's um, got a hell of a handshake. Man's got a hell of a handshake. I wouldn't know. I'll take I your would. word for it. <laughs> is, that, right, is that a humble brag there, Joe? That's a small humble brag. Small humble brag. You, you'd, you'd pick it up. I did. Uh, me, and, I did. Me, and Raj, me and Raj used to knock elbows around uh, the NFL draft, but that's a, story for an, that's a story for another podcast. That can be your, uh, your shut it down next week. There you go, Matt. Well, with that humble brag for Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. This has been the Moose and Runes podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Keep listening. Share it. Like it. Post it. Bop it. Twist it. That's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 16. Matter. We'll see you next week. See ya. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Bears.